right, so a lot of smart people believe, can, can make conclusions to believe, a lot of smart people cannot, uh, do not decide to believe. Okay, so how do we account for these differences? So he, uh, Tim Keller presents two theories. So the first theory, religious people are the rational ones, and the secular people are the biased, because there's so many strong evidence, evidences that um, it's the religious people who come, uh, come to the right conclusion. Well, there's problems with this theory, and, um, and he makes the comment that he doesn't think many of these people live in New York, and I don't think many of these people live in San Diego either. Uh, the problems were that the strongest arguments for God are never airtight. There's always room for doubt. And um, secular people can have intellectual integrity as well. And furthermore, uh, God wants uh, Christians to have exercise faith in addition to reason. So it's the way God set it up to, to have faith to come to him. So, so a, 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 a rational is not exclusive um, for a religious belief. All right, so another um, theory is that secular people are the objective ones and have unbiased reason, whereas religious people are the ones who are subjective and emotionally based and have that faith. And um, he calls this the subtraction theory. And so that's the secular's view that we can remove faith and emotion, and that en enables us to see all of reality of the world with a clear eye of reason. And then that gives us the secularism. So um, this book by Charles Taylor named A Secular Age that he's referring to, that Tim Keller refers to. But our thesis is, is that secularism is not the absence of beliefs, but the presence of a new set of beliefs that are just as unprovable as religious beliefs. So both secular and religious people must justify their beliefs. So um, you've got two arguments supporting this theory, this thesis. You can't prove nor disprove the, dis the existence of God. So to not be able to disprove the secularist view has rests on faith as well for the non-existence of God. And um, he points out there's a lot of emotional reasons to believe, to, to disbelieve in God. So perhaps religious people have some emotional reasons. Secular people have emotional reasons as well. So it's a wash. It, there's both, um, both cases. So there's emotional bias on both sides. So we move forward today to the, to the, um, the third argument that he's presented to, and then a way forward. So first off, Adam, did you have any... Any homework to share? My dog ate it. Your dog ate it. <laughs> um, that was good. I didn't actually share or put it into conversation with anybody that's non-believer, but I shared it with people that are believers. Okay. Kind of a, hey, this is interesting. Kind of think about this. Yeah. That's good. And so I think a lot of They both kind of were like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I can see that. Yeah. You know, it wasn't anything kind of explored before, but it wasn't like any pushback to it. You know, it was like, oh, yeah, I can see that. Makes yeah. sense. I can yeah. see that working as a way to get into conversation. Right, right. Yeah. You see that they're coming at it, you know, with some emotion in their mouth. That's right. That's right. Neither of us are unbiased. Emotionally um, and, and in making rational decisions. No one's unbiased. Those who conclude there is a God and those who conclude there is not. And I had the same experience. I didn't get a chance. I just didn't 
happened to be a, a circumstance for me with an unbeliever this week. But I had the same thing with three different people just talking about, yeah, it's a different belief system. And it's, it was equipping. They felt equipped. Like, yeah, I can talk to other people and I can think about this. You've got beliefs and I've got beliefs. It's not, I've got reason. No. My friend has reason in science and I, and I only have the uh, emotional reason to have faith. So it's good to be equipped. They were talking about how to start sharing your faith. Um, and Andy Stanley was saying, don't worry about trying to defend the Old Testament. Just, we look at the resurrection of Christ and we go from there. And one of his comments was, you know, his kids, he told his kids, you know, at school, when you're questioned about, you know, how did, you know, the sun stop for reading, whatever. Um, he said that the response Tell them, I don't know, but Jesus believed it, so I believe it too. And I Right, you know, right. I, at least I didn't think. And then in the context of this class, I'm like, well, take that to it for discussion and go to why you believe it more than just Jesus believe it. So yep, yep. Um, because when you approach people from a secular point of view, that just dismisses everything. It does. Because you're saying, I have blind faith, and I haven't looked into it. Right, right. So. Yeah. And it is important to talk to other Christians, too. Yes. You know, because we were, some friends were in town, and we had some discussion about it, and it was interesting, I was like, yeah, one of my questions was like, oh, why did you set it up this way? I mean, you know, it's tough, but there was a couple of Netflix shows out right now, and uh, I don't know if I remember all the reasoning, or the names of them, but one was like, And it's kind of really interesting then how they, you know, the disciples were like they were some sort of cult, you know, and everybody was like, I don't doubt, you know. But it's like you said, the proof of the people who saw it. But, you know, history is even hard to prove to people. You know what I mean? I mean, it's hard to believe that we didn't live like we live today. People have that so myopic kind of mm -hmm. viewpoint. But there was a guy who I worked for who was so, so smart. And he would question we had a lot of discussions and stuff and all that. And you know, it always would come back to faith. And and he and he would appreciate it, but he would say, I think that's a crutch. Mm, and okay. that was what he would always come back right, with. Right. He said, Yeah, Christians they just need it if it's a crutch. They right, need to get right. by. And yeah, you're right. I mean there's so much. But this I but love he, what Stephen said too last week or two weeks ago. Uh -huh. He said we have smart people here at our church. If you're doubting something, ask him to get yeah. Doubt can repent. Right. No, and, and it should, and we should and have to wrestle. It should, and we should have and to wrestle. But you. but turning the the, the, the the tables on the person who's saying, oh, you got yeah. that faith, you got that crutch thing. Well, you have faith too to believe there's no God As, because absolutely. you. Absolutely. So so that's where he goes. So let's go to the go, okay, go to Tim Keller. Good. Go to Tim, yeah. the uh, the expert here. Yeah. Sorry, class, first class review. We did that. And, oh, and here we are today. 
So you can follow along in the blanks on the second page. And if you miss something, don't worry about it. We'll discuss. And it might not be word for word. Um, so don't be worrying about if you missed it. So we'll, we'll go along. Okay, here comes Tim Keller. But here's the main reason why Charles Taylor says secular people have got to admit that their secularism is really a new belief set, a new set of beliefs, not the absence of belief, is because they have beliefs about rationality and morality. Secular people have beliefs about rationality and morality that are unprovable, and they give their the very basis of their lives. What do I mean by that? Well, what does he mean by that? I'm still following Taylor. So Taylor says, for example, um, whenever somebody says, I'm just being rational, if you could prove Christianity to me or if you could prove God to me, then I believe. And Charles Taylor, who's smarter than you and me and anybody in this room, and who's a philosopher, says, uh, would you please define proof? He says, do you know there's at least four? You can look this up even, on, <coughs> even on the, online. Go to Wikipedia. There's, if you put in the word rationality, you'll see there's at least four or five different working definitions of rationality, each one thinking the other ones aren't rational. And outside of math, when you talk about proof, there's proof in mathematics, that's one thing. But proof in law, proof in philosophy, proof in science, nobody agrees on exactly what proof means. And here's the weird thing. You cannot advocate for a particular view of proof without using that view of proof, which is the thing you're supposed to be establishing, which means reason is always based on antecedent faith. But let me go on a little further. Martin Heidegger, the philosopher, Michael Polanyi, who was a scientist, both wrote about uh, what they called tacit beliefs. They said, anyone who ever thinks they're being objective never is. Anyone who ever thinks they're being completely rational never is because we have background beliefs that are, they call it, well, Michael Polanyi called them tacit beliefs. They're background beliefs which are virtually unconscious, but which actually affect whether we consider certain arguments convincing or not. So let me give you a perfect example of this. Charles Taylor, in his book, asks an interesting question. He says, why is it that before 1500, 1500 AD, you know, the year 1500, before 1500, people suffered. They've probably suffered worse than we suffer today. But nobody said that that meant there couldn't be a God. Nobody. But since the year 1500, increasingly, people say, because of evil and suffering, there can't be a God. So, you know, the it's called the argument from evil. And the argument, or it, it, uh, technically, it's called the atheological argument from evil, which is because of the evil and suffering of the world, God can't exist. Because if he was good and all-powerful, he would stop it. That's the argument. Uh, and we're not going to talk about that tonight. <laughs> We're going to talk about it later if you're willing to come back. But uh, Charles Taylor says, why is it that in the past that argument was totally unconvincing to people? And why is it today it's very convincing to many people? And the answer is, he says, background beliefs that you're barely aware of. He said, ancient people, background belief was that if there is a God, of course I wouldn't understand him. If there is a God, of course my reason, my human reason would be incapable of plumbing the depths of him. But modern people are very, very confident that human reason can figure out the universe. Very confident. And therefore, modern people say, if I can't think of a good reason why God would allow this evil and suffering, there can't be any good reason.
Got that? Ancient people would never have thought about that. So why is it that modern people find that argument very compelling? Ancient people didn't find it compelling at all. It's the background beliefs that we're not even sure of. We're not even, we don't even see them. It's the background beliefs. And so Michael Polanyi and Martin Heidegger say, nobody comes to the evidence. This is, by the way, one of the reasons why Collins over here and Dawkins over here, both great scientists, would look at the same evidence and say, yes, God exists, and one says, no, God doesn't exist, because neither of them are completely objective. There's background beliefs about human nature, about the nature of human reason, about all kinds of things, Heidegger and Polanyi say, that are actually affecting the way in which you read. I'll give you a couple more of those in, in a minute. But so you see, the main point, first point, Charles Taylor says, if you say, I'm being rational, you're defining reason, you're defining proof, you've got all kinds of background beliefs, and the fact is that all reason, whenever you're rational, whenever you're using your reason, your reason is always grounded on antecedent faith, beliefs about the nature of proof, about the nature of reality, and background beliefs that you can, you're barely aware of. I 
Morgan Freeman is one of them, one of those shows that I was talking about. And like in India, they have multitude. You can go to village to village and they have forgot that they were, you know. So it is, it is. Yeah. That's the tough part. But yeah. background. Okay, so how do you discover your own? How, how can you discover your own background beliefs? Because you have them, I have them. Talking to people that don't. Yeah. I realized yeah. when I got married, there was a lot of things that I thought were normal. Right, right, sure. That she thought were normal. And neither of us were on the same page with them, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, on small, small hands, but. No, I think that's a great example because background beliefs are, like, are blind spots. Yeah, because you don't even look at them. So I don't think there's any way to discover them without being in conversation or without being in community with others to say, oh, I never thought about that. I guess I think this. And so it's got to be a compare and contrast to pull you out of your comfort of like, of course everyone thinks like this. Everyone, so it's got, I think it has to be in community in some sense, talking or even and so then, how can you help others discover their background? In that question. Same way. I'm trying to talk. Yeah, yeah. Um, or help them see, you know, maybe share your own, or share something own, yeah. if they can relate to it. Yeah. I think that's huge. Um, kind of having, going into something with vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And saying, mm -hmm. hey, here's some of where shortcomings are here's you know some of the things that I have you know these background beliefs and acknowledging that you have those too mm -hmm. rather than digging in and saying my way for me I'm gonna try and change your background beliefs. Right, right. And then um, I know Chad brought this up last week but um, going with questions. How did you come yeah. to that conclusion? And so asking just asking them how did you come to that conclusion um, gets hopefully will engage them to be able to describe the process that they came through. And then you can, oh, I, I had never thought of it that way. I think of it as this way. And so then you can compare background beliefs then, not calling either one wrong or right as they are. Yeah, so I think the background beliefs is a big deal to, to investigate yourself and for others. So, all right, ready to move on to the next And so the f one, one re reason why secular people actually are based on faith is because they have faith in a particular view of rationality. But secondly, and this is maybe the one I'm going to, probably the one that will hit home the most. Charles Taylor says, secular people still have morals. Secular people in particular have two, two moral values. He says it's equal human rights and universal benevolence. Now, when Taylor talks about equal human rights, you know what I'm talking about. The idea that every human being is equal in value and dignity and has rights. That's one moral belief that uh, secular people have. And the second moral belief is universal benevolence. That is, I shouldn't just take care of the poor people in my neighborhood or my family or my race or my community. I really should be concerned about the, the poor and the needy everywhere, every place. I should be talking, you know, I should be caring about all of them. So the belief in the 
moral obligation of honoring human, equal human rights and the moral obligation of, um, <clears throat> of universal benevolence, he says now, Charles Taylor says, okay, those are moral beliefs. Secular people have them. Prove them. Give me a scientific proof that all human beings are equal. Give me a scientific proof that everybody's uh, got equal rights. Do it. And the answer is you can't. Because those moral values, all moral values, if you've got them, are always matters of faith. There's no scientific way to prove them. But, and here's, what, here's where I'm going to push you a little bit. For a Christian to believe in human rights, according to Friedrich Nietzsche, Charles Taylor, and a, uh, uh, John Gray, who uh, is a, uh, a philosopher who's still writing right now, and he just recently wrote a book called Seven Types of Atheism. According to Friedrich Nietzsche and Charles Taylor and John Gray, who is an atheist, by the way, what they all say is that the idea of human rights and the idea of universal benevolence makes sense. It's a logical inference if you believe there's a God who created the universe, who made all human beings in his image, and who commands you to love as he loves. So if you have a God of love who creates everyone and, and, and puts his image on everyone, then the, to believe in universal benevolence and equal human rights for all is actually not a matter of faith. It might be, you might have faith to believe in that God, but once you believe in that God, it's a logical inference, human rights and universal benevolence. But here's what Nietzsche says. Nietzsche says, what if there's no God, which is what he believes, and what if the universe is impersonal? And what if we're not here for any purpose? And what if the only way you got here was through evolution, which is the strong eating the weak, which is the way of nature? It is absolutely natural for the strong to devour the weak. That's how we got here. That's called evolution. And Friedrich Nietzsche says, if you still want to believe in equal human rights, and you should take care of the poor and the needy, which of course is the exact opposite of the way you got here, which is evolution, totally opposite. If you still want to believe in that, that's fine, but it's an amazing leap of faith. And by the way, Nietzsche says it's not fine. Because Nietzsche says, if you believe in equal human rights, and you believe in universal benevolence, and you say, I don't believe in God, you're still believing in Christianity, whether you like to believe it or not. Nietzsche. Um, because he says, he says, those values made sense in a universe in which you had a personal God of love who made everyone. They don't make sense in our universe at all. If you want to believe in them, okay. But it's a massive leap of faith. A bigger leap than Christians are making. So for example, John Gray says this about Nietzsche. He says, with few exceptions, contemporary atheists are earnest and militant liberals. Awkwardly, Nietzsche points out that all liberal values derive from Jewish and Christian monotheism, and he rejected those values for that very reason. What Nietzsche recognizes is that you can be rid of God only if you also do away with all innate moral meaning. Civilization is in the process of ditching divinity while still clinging to all those values that came from the belief in divinity and that this egregious act of bad faith must not go uncontested. So, um, you see what's going on? So, for example, a guy named uh, Andrew Koppelman is a professor of law and political science at Northwestern University. And uh, he's a secular man, an agnostic, he saw, calls himself. He reviewed Charles Taylor's book, The Secular Age, and he really felt the power 
of this whole point, the subtraction story. And he really felt the power of the argument that said, if you're a secular person and you believe in human rights and you believe in universal benevolence, that sort of thing, you really don't have any basis on it. It's a, it's a complete leap of faith into the dark. And this is what he says. He says, I'm not prepared to argue, as other secular people do, that there is no transcendent basis for my commitment to human rights and that my commitment to human rights is of a purely contingent historical formation. And therefore, I have to admit, there's a permanent gap in my belief system. He goes on and he tries to say what he means by secular people who say that human rights is a purely historical formation. What they mean is that they say, yeah, today we think slavery was wrong because now it's the majority opinion. But in the past it wasn't wrong, and in the future it might not be wrong again. Because there are no moral absolutes, there can't be. What could, what could be... What could be what could be wrong with nature? Nature is strong, eat the weak. What could be wrong with nature? Unless you have a supernatural transcendent basis by which you can judge some things in nature are right and some things in nature are wrong, but there can't be such a thing. So this guy is saying, well, I don't believe in God, but I still believe what? He says, I actually believe slavery always was wrong and always will be wrong, no matter what the people say. And so this is his final statement. Quote, he says, modern secularism then is a religious worldview with its own narrative of testing and redemption, and it shares the vulnerabilities of such views. And there's another guy who's not a faculty member, he's just a guy I found on the internet, who also reviewed Charles Taylor's book. The reason I was interested in it is a young man, his, name, his first name is David, I'll just call him David, who uh, grew up in a very, very, very fundamentalist conservative background, went to a very conservative fundamentalist college, and moved to New York City probably 15, 20 years ago, I think now, and lost his faith. And he's now a secular person. And then he read Charles Taylor's Secular Age, which said, you're not objective. What you've done is you've, you have left aside one set of unprovable beliefs, and you have just adopted another set of unprovable beliefs. And this is what he says. Really, really interesting. He says, when I began to lose my faith, a lot of my Christian friends told me I was just trying to be cool. At the time, I told them that my loss of faith was strictly the result of good, solid intellectual arguments, all, by the way, capitalized. Good, capital G, solid, capital S, intellectual arguments. In other words, he basically said, it's all a matter, I've just looked at the, rat, the reasons, I looked at the evidence, it's all rational, I'm just being objective. In other words, he told them a subtraction story. But this is what he said after reading, after reading uh, Charles Taylor. He said, I now must concede that rational arguments, though it played a role in the change, was my coming to secular uh, beliefs was not a new moral, yeah, pardon me. He says, okay. He says, what actually happened to me was not me coming out of the cave into the daylight, but it was a matter of a new, more or less, equally faith-based seeing the old one. What happened here, he said, was that as many value judgments, there are as many value judgments in liberal humanism as there are in its parent religion, in other words, Christianity. And many people who come to the point of unbelief are happy to accept them despite objecting to what they consider the similar ungroundedness of Christianity. It's amusing now how little my values intrinsically had to do with materialism I've been convinced of. Nothing about individual liberty, human rights, or civilizational progress follows from the fact that I now believe God is not, does not exist. 
Now, so what he's saying is, I used to say the reason I became a secular person was because I was just being rational. Actually, I know that my belief in human value, my belief in human rights, actually does not follow from my belief that God is, doesn't exist. There was a uh, Alexander, no, Solovyov. He was a Russian philosopher. Um, and he says this in a nutshell, trying to say what Nietzsche is saying. He says, man descended from apes by a process of the strong eating the weak. Therefore, let us love one another. And what he was, what he was trying to do is summarize what Nietzsche was saying. I'm sorry, the idea of love and of human rights does not follow from the idea that there is no God. And therefore, if you want to believe in human rights, go ahead. But realize that's faith. It's faith. So, changes 
can you direct a conversation to have the discussion why you believe in human rights? Because that's where we want to go, is asking them, totally drawing them out, not hammering them, but how could that come up in a conversation? Or how could you direct the conversation? Letting them know why you believe in human rights. Yeah. Yeah. That it's based in this logical Yes, yes. That, that I believe God created human beings with value, and, and because I've been created with value, other people have value, and, uh, and so moving forward in that, so, so man, how, why is it that you believe? Yeah, where, where does that come from? And so, so asking questions. Um, yeah, so even us thinking about how can I direct a conversation to ask that question is um, the first step. I've had that conversation. Have you? And I've, I've gotten answers. And uh -huh. It's basically a survival of is why human rights are important to us, and it's evolutionary as well. Yeah, that is so a change. Tribes did much better than someone on their own. Right, right. And so it is also a cornerstone of evolution in that we care about it. Okay. So that so argument doesn't seem as rock solid. Okay, now you have no, no reason for believing that. Right. They do have a reason for believing that. Right. And it is a survival of faith, and it is an evolution of life. And so it still lines up with their belief and their passion. Okay. I've heard that before. I've always thought of survival of the fittest only it's up for self, but to include the tribe, that does give a reason to help the poor. Right. Okay. Yeah, because when you're when you're young and you're helping those elderly, your young are seeing you do that and they'll do the same. Right. So you are preserving yourself in the help that you're giving. By the teaching of this moral obligation. And building this community, watching out for each other, they're going to have your back as much as you have in there. And so it's still selfish. Yeah. It's an investment in itself, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, a, and another thing, kind of a conversation that seems to go is those who say they don't believe in God, they're agnostic or atheist, whatever, they feel like they're against this fragmented world of God is so different to everybody else. You know, where to them, they're all together. You know, like they're collectively saying, yeah. But over there, okay, you think God's like this, you think God's like that, you think God's like that, and so they're like, you know, which road would I take? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And that's tricky too. I mean, because this is just going against someone who is secular, right? Versus someone who's, you know, Muslim or, or you know, believes in their or religion. Has a different religion. Yeah. yeah, and even the yeah. fractions of Christianity. You know, so right, right. So, yeah, they kind of, they're a tribe. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the second question. How do you think you could fit in your opinion? I think human rights make sense. Is there any about it?
share the gospel without words, that kind of a thing. And so I'm going to yeah. do the good things. I'm going to be the compassionate, the giving. But if they never hear the reason why, then it's invisible, sure. and they, they just might think you think like they do because they've got background beliefs, and they just, oh, yeah, they, they must be motivated by the same reasons. And so if you can tell them, I think, this is what I'm thinking. I think it's uh, that all people having human rights makes sense if there is a God. It could invite them in to understand where you're coming from and then for them to share where they're coming from. So I think, I think it's a, that's a great way to, to put it in there. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. And it could maybe make that leap from, you know, if they come with the argument that religion is just based on rules and trying to live right. You can say, no, it's more than that. It's the basis of why we think in our house or something like that. It's more than just we're living by a set of rules trying to be better than everybody else. Yeah, yeah. and that, that would uh, challenge their background beliefs. This church is just a bunch of rules. Mm-hmm. I'd have to, like, follow the law. Like, I, like, why would I want to do that? And so you can say, to explain, oh, there's more to that. Yeah. And actually, and that's where the difference comes in, I think, too, with Christianity, you know, why Jesus came, you know, because God saw that was happening, where it was becoming very, you know, Judaism with, you know, all the rules and regulations and no love, you know, that's really where you start to differentiate that, you know, why Christ came. What's the solution now? I'm telling you that the reason why you get smart people who look at the evidence and come out on different different places is because the process of losing your faith or gaining your faith is more complicated than anybody wants to admit. It's not just a matter of looking at arguments and, and uh, evidence. Number one, you've got to look at your own background beliefs. You've got to try to discern your own background beliefs. And number two, you have to realize wherever you stand at that moment, you're not being objective. You've got your own set of commitments and beliefs. And therefore, the way forward is to compare beliefs. Uh, When I've given this talk before, usually people say, wait a minute. So you're saying we're all kind of religious. We we all are, are filled with faith. Yes. 
I'm saying that secularism is a set of beliefs that are not provable scientifically and logically, they're not self-evident to everyone, and they have their own contradictions and problems. So some people say, well, that means that we're all sort of stuck in our little bubbles of faith. We can't, I can't prove my beliefs to you, you can't prove your beliefs to me, so we're stuck. No, no, not really. Because you can rationally interrogate your set of beliefs. You can at least, at least do these five things. You can at least do these five things. Number one, you can ask if your beliefs are consistent with one another or whether your beliefs contradict each other. Number two, you can ask whether your human experience fits your beliefs. Are you actually able to live your, your faith out? Or do you find that your faith is constantly bumping up against the reality of human experience? Number three, can you deny something one minute and the very next minute show that you actually had another way to believe it? In other words, another way to put it is, uh, can you deny something one minute and yet go on to assume it the next minute, which means you end up borrowing from the beliefs of other systems? Alistair McIntyre, a philosopher who says, how do you deal with people who've got these different systems? One of the ways you can check is, if you have one set of beliefs and you find yourself constantly having to borrow ideas from another set of beliefs, then maybe your set of beliefs isn't, just isn't really working. Uh, one more is, are you willing to embrace the conclusions of your beliefs the logical conclusions of your beliefs, and if not, why not? So, you see, the point is that even though we can't prove absolutely everything in our set of beliefs to people who've got other beliefs, we can compare them. What I'm going to do the next several weeks is I'm going to say, here are a number of things that you have got to... Uh, uh, a number of things that you have to have in order to live. You need to have a meaning in life. You need to have a way of handling suffering. You need to have a strong identity. You need to have happiness and, 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 and uh, satisfaction in life. You can't live without these things. How is your set of beliefs doing? I'm going to compare how your beliefs are doing with what Christianity offers. And arguably, Christianity gives you resources for those things that are unequaled. So instead of every, the next four or five times uh, we meet together, uh, eventually I'd like to give you evidences and arguments, but that's not how it should start. The reason you got smart people that come down on both sides of this, smart people who believe and smart people who don't believe, is because the process is complex. And it's a matter of comparing your sets of beliefs. I want you to think about what you believe and compare it to Christian beliefs in how the two sets of beliefs do with accounting for reality and helping you face suffering and giving you an identity, which is how you're supposed to test these things. Last idea. Um, Jesus Christ was once approached by a man who said, would you come heal my son? And Jesus said, sure, I'd be happy to heal your son if you believe. And what the man said is, crying out in desperation. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. Wow, there's an honest man. I believe, I don't really believe. <laughs> you know, I, Jesus, hey, if you believe, I'll heal your son. I believe, I know I don't believe, I believe, help my unbelief. And guess what Jesus does? Does he say, I'm sorry, not good enough. You need to go to Tim Keller's Question Christianity course. <laughs> You need, to, you need to get at least, oh, you know, you just need a, a lot more certainty. 
you got to get rid of these doubts. No, what does he do? Some of you know. He heals the boy. Now, what does that say? Two things. Number one, coming to faith is a process. It's a process, and Jesus recognizes that. But here's the other thing. The faith that Christians are looking for is not some pure, perfect psychological certainty. Because at least in, in the Christian understanding of things, it's not the quality of your faith that saves you, the purity of your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith that saves you. If you're about to fall off a cliff and you just reach out, scared to death, and grab a branch, and it holds you up, you're saved. Why? What saved you? Was it the quality of your faith? No, you weren't sure when you grabbed the branch. You weren't filled with certainty. You weren't sure. But when you grab that branch, even without a whole lot of perfect faith, it saved you. Why? It's the object of your faith, not the quality and purity of your faith that saves you. And so the Christian understanding of faith is it is a process. It is messy. It is complicated. You, it is a process of thinking and intuition. Yes, you can use your reason. And yes, you can use your intuition. But when it all comes down to it, the Christian under, understanding is it's a commitment to Jesus that saves you, not the quality of your faith. You don't have to be perfect in all this. It's messy. And Jesus has mercy on those that doubt.
it compares in um, answering the questions about meaning, hope, satisfaction, personal identity, and um, for the moral justice, the morality. So um, just these, uh, we're not going to go through all the other videos, but this is where if you would go to compare belief systems, let's talk about the meaning of life. What is the meaning of life? And let's talk about hope. How can I have uh, hope in the face of suffering and death? And in satisfaction, what provides true meaning, happiness, satisfaction, personal, personal identity? What's the basis for my worth as an individual? So again, comparing Christianity with the, uh, the secular or other uh, worldview. Morality and justice. So on what grounds can I make moral justice judgments? And, um, and so yeah, so just uh, some summary. So Christianity has some answers for all of these. Our job to help people to compare those belief systems. So, just a challenge. Um, I, I was sharing. I became a believer as an adult, and so it was. It was a process of me thinking about what my beliefs were and what Christianity had to believe. And so, it wasn't a. Um, it was a messy process, and it took a long time. And, um, and you especially, almost, especially being a math person, very logical. Right, maybe, yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah, so, so I, I like to deduce. I like to have yeah. definitions to start with and a proof, right. And so, but coming to terms with um, understanding, okay, so I'm believing something now and there's another belief system, which, and so I was starting to, okay, there could be a probability that this God does exist. And so I had to start thinking, I did start thinking about that. I didn't have to, I did start thinking about that. And so that process of kind of biting off or trying Christianity, so sometimes that process is, um, I think this is a 10 calorie analogy, that um, process of like when you are a, 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 a job applicant, come in, you've got three great candidates in front of you, probability is they'll all work out great. Right now you know which one to, to choose. You choose one, you choose one, and then you go with it, right? And then over the next three years, as you trust your instincts, you trust your instincts, and you, you, you have to make a decision. And then, uh, and you can go back on that decision, right? You let the person go. But once you choose that person, it's experience over the next three years of you working beside them that affirms that I did make the right decision. So it's the experience after the choice. So, um, so that's kind of what it can be like. I, I thought that was a great analogy to help someone say, okay, so if you want to think about it and try, try putting on Christianity, read, thinking about, first off, I think it's uh, this, this reason this uh, video series came to mind was thinking about the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, so if you're going to think that this is true, let's look at the historical evidence that Jesus would live on. And what did he say? And so if you look at that, then what does that mean? So if you, you know, if you want to take it to the next step, so just helping someone understand what the process could be like, um, so that it doesn't have to be like they might have a background belief, a leap of faith, and it's supposed to have some, you know, thing. So it would be different for other people. So let's go to um, the next questions. Oh, so that was uh, okay. So how did other belief systems compare? So what struck you was important. Just from a conversation recently, the 
facing, you know, where we're going on this, you know, answer here. Yes. This is where it's going to head to. Right. Are you comfortable with that? Right. I'm not comfortable with that. I'm comfortable with this over here. Right. Okay, but that's where we're going. You yeah. Know? Right. And uh, yeah, he ended up saying, no, I guess this isn't the right thing now. We've got to do something different now. And so uh, I really like that. And and it shows that you're thinking through what they're saying mm -hmm. and validating that. Right, getting the value. Yeah. And understanding, you know, and giving them opportunity to say, no, I don't think logically it does carry to that. Okay, okay. where does it logically carry then at that point? You know, and so it gets everyone kind of thinking and making sure we think on the same page on the same road. Yeah. I think there's like a strong desire in this room to want to uh, investigate this and understand. I think that uh, when I think about friends I have that might be atheist or agnostic, mm -hmm. uh, if they don't have even like a seedling of interest to do that, I think some of these questions to examine all these things would like, just seem difficult to approach with them. Right. Friends, like they would be more apt to kind of just have like a surface level belief, like they don't want to investigate that any further. That's just what I believe, yep. and they'll challenge that, right? You know, um, so I think that there's value in all this, but like I, I don't know how to like wanting something for them that maybe they don't want for themselves, right? Right. Or is there meaning? And, and does it matter? 
you think about love and nature? How does that show? So we ask the question again. Yes. Oh, yeah. John. The way I ended up coming to faith was through my brother-in-law. And really, I was just kind of living my life, and I was good with unbelief. And I was going through hard times, and I saw him, the way he was living life. I mean, I know he went to church and whatever, but I wasn't really interested in doing any of that. But I saw in his life, he was pretty consistent in the ups and downs of life. He still had, like, joy, and he still, you know, just was, you know, the way he treated other people and the way he reacted to situations. And so when I started going through some stuff, I went to him and said, what do I do? Like, I see you doing things and being okay with your, with what life is dealing to you, and you're still moving
reliable earmarks, you know, the eyewitness accounts, there's a lot there. So, okay, so he did exist. So let's look at what he said, because for the most part, it looks like what he said was recorded in the Bible. And so looking at what he said, let's evaluate. Is it compelling? Am I thinking about? Like, wow, he did have a lot of good things to say. Maybe I should look at some of the other things he said. I don't I don't understand. Let me investigate. And how do you investigate? Then perhaps reading the gospel. So there could be steps through that process that you could offer or, you know, walk through with somebody. Um, anyway, so just that, that idea. And uh, I think this, this chart is going to be, I'm going to make copies of this for myself and, and use it to just ask friends to work through it with me. Like, what, what do you believe about personal identity? And uh, I think as you age, you're going to get how to face suffering. How do I find meaning and satisfaction in life when you're hitting walls in your career? Or, I mean, there's just going to be different phases of life where you're going to want to have questions answered. And, and does your belief system answer the question? So, other ideas that you might have? That's kind of where I go to when somebody asks me why I believe. Yeah. I tend to go to the reason um, and not the faith or upbringing or whatever. Right, right. I, and that's where I start is that it's the only thing that works with what I'm seeing in the world around me yeah. and what I know to be true right. aside from that. Yeah. And um, there was a, a great like, YouTube video by Bonnie Bachman. Okay. Um, it's called Why We in the Bible. Oh, okay. Who was it? But it basically says, you know, everybody says, you know, I've tried it, it works for me or whatever. It says, you can say that about every religion. Yeah. He says, you know, the, the Bible's a collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses, hearing the lifetime of other eyewitnesses, um, talking about the supernatural events that were prophesied and came to fruition and oh yeah I tried it and it worked for me. You know, so it's like it's all of those things. And then he, he kind of breaks down, you know, all the different scriptures or the all the writings that went into it, all the historical documentation, all of that stuff. And then compares it to other things that we take as fact. You know, that Julius Caesar like, Yeah. Everybody believes that. Yeah. I know but that's you know, and so he kind of breaks it down that way. And it's it's a lot easier to get into a conversation with somebody if you're coming to it with saying, I don't believe it based on faith. I believe it based on all of facts. these facts yeah. and yeah. reasons. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I think the resurrection is a good place to start. Because there's historical evidence for it, like, uh, for the resurrection, and we've got historical records that Jesus did exist. So looking at what he said and who he is, and, and then in, uh, it, so do I, am I compelled to believe what he said? And he believed in the Bible because he quoted the Bible a lot. And so taking from there that logical inference, okay, maybe I'm just going to start well, to if you look at Saul slash Paul, he's a good one to start yeah. with too. Yeah. He's kind of one of those first that were on the after when you called him up and then he came. You know? Yeah. Same with the Roman. But it's like what you're saying. I think the hard part is you look 
history now, and people debate history. They debate what happened to John F. Kennedy. They love to project all these theories, you know what I mean? They love, uh, and, and so it gets to, that's where I think even, it's like that, that uh, game when you start with the, and it goes around the circle, and how it ends, and I'm like, that's not at all how I said it. And there's these people that say, uh, how different it is, or, or why, if God was evident then, and he'd showed himself to people, why did he stop? Why does he not appear right. to people? Right. And some people think they did, and then they think they're emotionally. Right, and yeah. some of those reasonable faith videos, yeah. we talk I about, I love that. Yeah, so we talk about how to assess historical facts, and, and what theologians, not just theologians, uh, what uh, history people use as earmarks for well, how can we assess if this is this truth we have. And my, um, my father-in-law was a soteriologist, which was the study of biblical languages. Oh wow! Yeah, and oh my gosh, he uh, from the University of Penn. I mean, knowledgeable. I was like, God, I wish I could ask him. He passed over the line, and I thought, Wow, I wonder what life's like and for somebody who's lived their whole life studying this. Ministry, you know, I wonder what life's like. Like, if, like man, I need to know half what I know. Right, right. Or did he, you know, people know, oh, maybe he just lives a life in vain. You know, they're not real. Right. Anyway, tough things you gotta do. Well, I'd like to just go through these just okay. to, to get your thoughts. Of, um, so, what is for me, what's meaningful as a believer? How would you say it?
And that death has been overcome. Yeah. So that, yeah, that, that Jesus was resurrected, that that's not the end of the story. Those who don't believe in God, that this life is all there is, that's the end of the story. You're in the ground. That has been overcome. That's right. Yeah. I have a hard time looking at both resurrection wise.
Tim Keller's materials. What, what questioning? Questioning Christianity. Mm -hmm. And it's a it's a live stream that you purchase to get these lectures. And I think, there, I think there's six of them, five. And so after the lecture part, there's actually quite a lengthy three-minute uh, um, question and answer that he sits down. He takes in questions that he got texted. So you said questioning Christianity. Christianity. And, under, and it's in, under his website, gospelinlife.com. Oh, gospel. $40. It's like forty dollars I paid, and um, the access goes away June seventeenth. So it's, it's pretty quick, but you could just sit down and just listen to them. You can't um, anyway. What do you mean? It? So it, it was a live stream event, oh. and so so you had access to rewatch the videos. Oh. So that's why we had to do the class now, and so oh. I, I we can't show the rest of them because I'm going to lose access. But if we could have good questions, you know. I, I'd love to do follow-up kind of things. Let's talk about uh, all of these hope, meetings. So he's that. not going to ever have put it up somewhere else? No, he's not. He does this on a yearly basis, okay. questioning Christianity, and he does different oh. topics. Oh. Yeah, and but he doesn't ever want it. And everyone's a little bit different, but, but he always, it's inviting people in to have a discussion. And he, he they're really, he's hoping that there's not believers and so let's have a discussion. Sure. And this time it was about, I can't remember what the last one years one was, but uh, this one, so let's compare the week. So, okay. All right, thanks so much.